Welcome back. Today's topic is things I don't know. Um, and today I'm going to start off right away with the disclaimer that nothing that I'm saying here should be taken as halachic guidance of any kind. And please ask your shilas to the right place. Um, I'm only sharing from my own experience and my own heart, and hopefully these are things that will be relatable and encouraging. But since the title of this podcast literally is Things I Don't Know, you get the idea. Okay, so I used to be really self-conscious about things in Torah and Torah observance that I didn't know. Um, and especially if it was something that I was supposed to know, either because it was something that everybody knows, you know, everybody in quotes, or because it was something that I imagine that everybody else at least had a better grasp on than I did. For example, the whole concept of madregas or spiritual levels. What madrega was I on? You know, like you'd hear these things about how certain greatness was expected of people who are on higher madregas and sadikim are held to higher standards. And I would get really bent out of shape over these things. I would be thinking like, well, maybe I'm on a really high madrega and I just don't know about it. Maybe I'm expected to do a whole lot more than I'm actually doing now. And also then I'd have all these other questions about it. Like, how come sometimes I feel like I'm on a higher madrega than other times? Is there one big madrega or are there a bunch of tiny little madregas? Like, for example, could I be on madrega 15 for Shabbos and... Madrega 13 for Tznius and like minus 100 for remembering to Pesach clean on time. And also, what about when I was depressed and suddenly everything would feel a million times harder? Does that mean that I lose all my Madregas when that happens? Or does it mean that I was never even on a higher Madrega in the first place? And also, what about times when I did nosedive from Madrega 5000 to like Madrega 2? So... Let's say that then it takes me another five years just to restabilize and get back up to Madrega 3. Does Hashem count that as Naomi moved up one Madrega or Naomi moved down 4,997 Madregas? Or is it both? Or is it neither? Or do I have this whole thing wrong? Also, even scarier than those things is what happens if I was born with the potential to reach level 3,000, but because of my own bad choices, I ended up like way, way, way down lower and even if I do tshuva and try really hard for the whole rest of my life, I'll never even make it back up to level 200. And what if it would be like a superhuman feat even just to get back beyond level 30? So does that mean that even if I work really hard the whole rest of my life that I still fail my life mission? Or does Hashem recalibrate the grading scale for me so that now I max out at like 35? So if I hit in at like 33 or 34, that that's okay? So as you can probably tell, I've spent way too much time worrying about these things. But I did at least finally make some peace with most of it by now. And the thing that makes the most actual sense to me now is that, yes, our madregas can fluctuate. And there's no one big blanket madrega. I think that makes sense. Like, you can be better in one area and, you know, like, stronger in one area, weaker in another. But the other questions, especially the ones about what if we do chuva and work really hard, but we still only make it up to a fraction of where we started. So I still don't know those things. I don't know if anybody knows those things. I'm sure people know more about it than I do. But I've made peace with that. It's one of the things that I don't know. So we'll put that in that list. Just first, a slight detour on how I came to be such an Amaretz. Not that the specifics matter that much. Um, you know, different people miss out on different knowledge and experiences for different reasons. Um, and I hope this podcast can help people with that, regardless, you know, what you have to catch up with and why. 
But for what it's worth, my formal Jewish education short-circuited very early on. I was expelled from Jewish high school partway through ninth grade. Um, and that was because I was having some pretty severe mental health problems. And just to be really, really clear, I do not blame the school for that. Uh, back then, they and probably most schools were not equipped to handle what I was going through. And it would have been irresponsible for them to try to keep me there. So it wasn't the right place for me at the time. I don't blame them for that. But anyway, even before getting expelled in ninth grade. I'd been struggling very hard for years emotionally and kind of checked out from any academics for a very, very long time. The only year that I was a good student was in seventh grade. But already by then, I'd missed so many things. I would guesstimate that my halachic knowledge base by the time I got to high school, all things considered, was maybe fourth or fifth grade level. And probably lower in some areas. Like, for example, I did not know al by heart till college or grad school. There's probably other things too, maybe more that I can't think of now because maybe I still don't know them. But anyway, in 10th grade, I made a friend at public school who was also Jewish, but beyond knowing that she was Jewish, she didn't really know anything else about what that meant. So I became the Torah expert in our friendship, which is very unfortunate for her um, because 10th grade me was a tragedy of a Torah expert, let me tell you. She asked me one time if I could eat pizza at her house that they were going to order in from a non-kosher restaurant. And I said, no, because I kept kosher. And I was like a little bit explaining that to her. And she said, oh, okay, well, but what if we make the pizza at her house and then we could make sure that all the ingredients are kosher? And she was asking me, like, is bread kosher? And I was like, oh, yeah, bread is kosher. And she's like, cheese? Oh, yeah, cheese is kosher too. Sauce? Yeah, it's tomatoes. It's all good. So um, this is probably coming out really offensive to fourth and fifth graders because they know better than this, I'm sure. But anyway, um, just to be on the safe side, I said, you know, I'm just going to call my rabbi to just to like double check that this is cool. So major, major kudos to my rabbi from the shul. He was really nice, really, really patient. And he was explaining very gently where my logic went like way off the rails. And he was explaining some of what goes into making kosher cheese um, and about like ovens. And there's so many things that was wrong with my thinking that was fine. But anyway, I told my friend, oh, actually, I can't have the pizza at your house. And that was that. So, I mean, by the way, a different time I called that same rabbi and asked him why I couldn't order hard-boiled eggs from the public school cafeteria since, you know, it's in a shell, so it's protected from the trafe. And I don't remember what his whole answer was, but I do remember, like, he totally spoke my language, and he said that if there was food coloring in the water, it would make it through the shell, and that settled it for 15-year-old me because if food coloring can get through, then the trafe also could get through. Although I did also one time ask him, but it's boiling water, so why doesn't the boiling water boil out the trafe like it boils out, you know, bacteria? So, I mean, listen, I have to say, I think that there is something valuable in asking these questions. Yeah, I did care. There's a lot of things I didn't know. And at that point, I kind of, like, understood that I didn't know them. A little bit later on, I started feeling like I had to prove myself, and that's when things got a little bit um, more tricky. So, I mean, also just, you know, total, total honesty, just because I asked the questions and got the answers and believed the answers doesn't mean that I always listened so well. I had a real up-and-down struggle with some of my observance in high school and as a young adult also. There were times when I knew that things I was doing were not the best things to do, but it was kind of a mess trying to sort through it all especially like the layers upon layers of everything that was going on at the time. Um, also, sometimes my timing wasn't the most helpful. 
So, for example, I decided to take on SNES when I was in grad school. And it was the hottest part of the summer, and I was living in South Florida. But, hey, that's when the inspiration struck, and I was ready, so I jumped on it. Um, and that lasted for a couple of months at that time, which is kind of ironic, because by the time I was giving it up, I was, like, it was good weather for it. So it seemed to be a little bit irrelevant, but I did gradually circle back to it a bunch of times until it finally did click. Although, to be honest, the main reason that it finally stuck for good was when I got married and moved to a yeshivish community where that's the norm. And I also committed to covering my hair, and people told me that it would be just a drop in the bucket compared to all the changes that you get used to when you get married. But unfortunately, that has not been the case. It's still one of the hardest mitzvahs for me. And there's times that I like literally just remind myself that Hashem sees my effort and the reward will be a big one because the struggle is a big one. So going back to before I took on SNES for that final time when it stuck, I was really, really frustrated one time. I called up that same rabbi from before, and I asked about how I was dressing and, you know, wearing pants and short sleeves and mixed swimming and going to the beach and all that stuff. Um, and I asked him about some other things, too, at the same time, and his answer was surprisingly helpful. He said, you know, are these things permitted? No. And I think, you know, he knew that I, I knew that there were some problems with some of it. He said, is it something I should be focusing my energy on right now, like at that point in my life? And he said, also, probably not. Um, because the thing is, and he knew this, I had major other fish to fry, and I was spread very thin trying to tackle it all. It was only a couple of years after my anorexia relapse, and I'd recently been diagnosed with bipolar, and just trying to hold it all together most of the time. His answer didn't give me permission to do the things that I shouldn't do, but it put the right choice within my grasp. So I was honest, and I asked him for help on what to do, and he would basically mapped out the steps, which were... First, get the basic structure of my life in order. So mental and emotional stability was number one. You know, get my health in order. Then we could worry about the rest. So I like that he always put the right choice within my reach. Really good, Rob. I really trust him a lot. And I think that asking for guidance, not just like a halachic yes or no question, you know, like, can I eat this boiled egg or can I eat pizza at my friend's house, but also specific, you know, somebody who you know as a Rav who can guide you personally in it, there's a lot of value in that. You know, I think of asking rabbis halacha questions as being similar to asking a doctor a medical question. They they know more than me. And I've had people tell me before that it's, you know, it's blind faith and not thinking for yourself to let rabbis, you know, decide things for me. Not people like within the necessarily Torah observant community saying that, but like friends that I've met along the way of life. But it's not really what it is, though. It's not at all what it is. It's not blind faith to ask a Shaila. I ask the question of somebody who's qualified to answer it. The same way that it's not smart to use Google and try to be your own doctor, it's also not smart to try to be your own rabbi. And I mean, I'm guessing that there's people who know way more than me who also, you know, know their limits and know what they know and what they don't and what they can benefit from asking Shilas about sometimes, even if maybe just to get like an unbiased answer. I don't know. It's way outside the realm of what I know about. But anyway, so the next part of this is overcoming the embarrassment of not knowing things. And I think that, you know, I've come a long way in that both with regard to common knowledge things that I'm still working on making up after having missed some of it along the way, or even like, you know, big question things that, you know, I kind of like have this assumption, maybe, I don't know if I'm the only one who has this assumption, like as a religious person, I should know at least some basic understanding of, you know, what's the purpose of my life or what does God want from me? Why does 
Hashem let terrible things happen in this world? Or even like, what's the reason, like why we do certain mitzvahs? You know, some of them we know, some of them we don't. But, you know, if I don't really have any answer, you know, when somebody asks me, oh, why do you cover your hair? Or why, you know, and I know like a little bit here and there, but I don't know everything. So I used to be really embarrassed and self-conscious that I don't know these things. And I think it's important to overcome the embarrassment factor for two big reasons. One is so that, you know, if we keep being embarrassed by it, we're not going to end up learning anything. As long as I was pretending that I knew things or even just downplaying the things that I didn't know, there wasn't any opening to actually learn. And this kind of hit the fan for me early in my marriage when I was very tactfully and kindly suggested by my husband to go to a local Hilcha Shabbos class. So I did. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this will be like a, a fun little refresher about making sure to check refrigerators for light bulbs on Arab Shabbos or finding out which board games are really okay on Shabbos. And then I got there and they're talking about things like, like Hatamana. And I'm like, I don't know that word. I've never heard that word. I don't know what that means. You know, the first class that I went to was really hard. I had a lot of trouble even following the lesson because I didn't know a lot of the terminology or the <laughs> 39 malachas. I, I didn't know. And um, anyway, so that class was, you know, the first one was a little bit disheartening, but it ended up being really actually very heartening once I got through the embarrassment of it, which I'll explain soon. The second reason why it's important to overcome the embarrassment factor is because even if you're missing information or skills, or even if you messed up a bunch of things earlier on in your life when you were younger, you can still be a good person now and you can still believe that you're a good and worthwhile person now. Trust me, I was a mess when I was younger. A lot of things um, that I've shared before and lots of other things that I will most certainly not be sharing. But believe me, I get it. There's times when I did not think I was ever going to get through some of the messes that were going on. And I thought it would be best for everybody if I'd just never been born. And wondering why Hashem didn't just end my life ASAP and cap the damage. Um, you know, and I still have low moments. And tell you the truth, it's not like all of this just disappeared. But more and more, I've been able to see myself as a good person, too. It took me a long time and a lot of encouragement from friends and mentors before I was able to do things like right with all I am. And to start this podcast, it took a long time because I kept thinking, you know, I'm an idiot who doesn't know anything and I'm just going to make a fool of myself. And hey, maybe maybe that's exactly what I'm doing. But also, so what? One of the most helpful things that I do know was from what I learned about how Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest man who ever lived, even though he sinned, and that he was on a higher madrega than Amram, who never sinned. And the reason that I learned is because sins aren't the big defining issue. The mitzvahs are. And the lesson that I got from that is it's better to take chances and do things than to shy away from doing anything because you're scared of doing the wrong thing. I mean, that could be really scary. And I don't want to downplay it because one time I did something very stupid. And I mean, a lot of times I did something very stupid. But this one particular time I'm talking about. And I felt really bad. And I mean, I was like, want to crawl into a hole in the wall and never come out. And in retrospect, it was a little bit of an overkill reaction. But anyway, I wrote an email to one of these Ask the Rabbi websites. And I asked, I want to give back all my mitzvahs so Hashem can recycle any of the good things that I did back into the system and undo the damage of this really, really stupid thing I just did. And hopefully also if there's enough like good left over to undo some other bad things I did. Uh, the rabbi who answered wrote me back something that I've saved ever since. He said, it doesn't work like that. Obviously, it doesn't work like that. But he said that mitzvahs are forever, and averas get dealt with eventually, and then they're gone. And then what you're left with are your mitzvahs. 
So that gave me a ton of confidence that I never had before. Because up till then, I'd been thinking, even with the whole thing about Moshe and Amram, that, okay, so it's better to do more mitzvahs, even if you mess up sometimes. But, I mean, come on, it's not like Moshe ever did anything, like, mega, huge, horrible, you know? There's only a very tiny amount of bad stuff that he ever did. So in my mind, that translated as, okay, so it's better to do 100 mitzvahs, even if you accidentally also end up with, like, one or two of eras. But what if you aim for 100 mitzvahs and you end up with 30 of eras, or 50, or 90, or what if you end up with a thousand of eras and you only ever like end up with one mitzvah? So to be totally clear, I'm not a rabbi or a halachic expert of any kind. And like I said, none of this is supposed to be halachic guidance at all. But when I got that letter back from the Ask the Rabbi site, I realized it's probably good to go ahead and get that one mitzvah, even if you racked up a thousand of eras too. Not on purpose, obviously. I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm going to go do this horrible, like, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you go out there and you really, your intentions are good and you want to do good things and you end up only doing that one good thing and you have a bunch of like a thousand mistakes. So those will get all dealt with eventually. And then you'll get to keep that one mitzvah forever. So to end off, I want to share one massive benefit, at least that I found of being able to say, I don't know. And to admit that you don't know something. And that benefit, at least for me, is that it comes with a massive feeling of humility and peacefulness. You're not going to fall because there's no pedestal. You don't have to pretend anything. You don't have to fake it that you're greater or more knowledgeable or experienced than you are. You can just be. You can be yourself. You can be a learning, growing, living person. And that is a huge thing. Because if you're anything like me and you've ever had a time in your life where you tried to fake it till you make it or some other way of trying to just prove yourself. And even like if you weren't 100% in the realm that you were trying to portray yourself as. Listen, for me that didn't work out. But you know what was awesome? And I mean, this was a little bit humiliating, but it was mostly awesome. I went to a woman's shear after a yeshiva minion on Shabbos once. And I was the only woman who showed up to the class one time. And the rabbi decided to go ahead and give the class anyway to just me, which I still appreciate very, very much. And thank you if you're out there. Um, also, the fact that I was the only one there was what made me kind of have the guts to actually go ahead and do this. But it was a short class on a Shabbos after davening about Parshas Yisro. And I realized about a minute in that both of our time, my time and the rabbi's time, were going to be wasted if I didn't clarify who is Yisro? So a few years earlier, I probably would have just nodded along pretending that I knew, but I actually wanted to know. So I said, you know, hey, could I ask a really basic ignorant question, which was verbatim, who is Yisro? And I don't know if he expected my question to be quite that basic, but he answered it. And then I was able to understand the rest of the class. Yisro was Moshe's father-in-law, by the way. And see, once you finally do learn something, you can share it. Um, the point of this podcast isn't to say that I know nothing and that's okay. It's about it being okay to admit when you don't know something and to be okay with how much further we have to go. It's about being able to be free enough and comfortable enough to keep moving forward even when we think we should know something or we should be ahead of where we are now. Even if we lost certain opportunities in the past or even if we wasted opportunities in the past to learn or to grow or to get to a higher level than we are now, the quote, only God knows everything. It's not just a fluffy idea. There's a lot of safety and security in that. Hashem knows why bad things happen to good people. And Hashem knows why horrible things happen in the world. And 
Hashem knows what my life's purpose is and what madregas each of us are on. And he knows everything that we're capable of and not capable of and all these, you know, anything else that we ever worry about or wonder about. Hashem knows all of it. He knows how it's possible for real forgiveness to exist and what exactly happens to each of our personal madrega systems every step of the way of, of our entire lives. He knows everything and he remembers everything. And Hashem can carry the heavy stuff so that we don't have to. We can trust him. It's okay to let Hashem be in charge and know everything. And then all we have to do is our best and to learn and to be okay with the fact that we don't know everything. But hopefully tomorrow we'll know more than we know today. So that's what I have today. And I hope that it was helpful. And I hope that you'll come back next time. Have a great week.